0: Episode 30 with Jason Phillips. My name is Colby Nepp, and each week I bring you a one-on-one in-depth interview with leading experts in the field of strength and conditioning. In this practical, structured, and time-efficient podcast, it's my job to connect you with the knowledge and experience of world-class coaches so that you can learn from their stories, become a better coach, and build champions regardless of your current situation and resources. Bottom line, my listeners get serious ROI on their time spent here. Guest today is Jason Phillips, owner of Driven Performance Labs and my personal nutrition coach. And in today's episode, you will learn Jason's criteria for hiring the right coaches, a sample nutrition prescription for a regionals bound CrossFit athlete, and unconventional advice for building a successful brand. All right, what's going on, everybody? Coach Colby here, coming at you with another episode of the Strength and Performance Podcast brought to you by TrainHeroic.com. I'm joined on the line by Jason Phillips. Jason, say hi.
1: What's going on, man? All
0: right. So for those who are unfamiliar, Jason, why don't you just give us a quick background about you, your companies, your brand, your philosophies. Just dive right in.
1: Yeah, no doubt, dude. First of all, thanks for having me on. So basically who I am, I'm behind the scenes of a lot of the top athletes in CrossFit today, and I'm the one working on their nutrition plans. So I've worked you know, this past weekend, the first weekend of regionals, the South California and Australia. I think I had a total of 34 athletes competing. But, you know, I work with several athletes worldwide, dialing in their nutrition. You know, we work on it year-round. It's not just a pre-competition phase. And and obviously, we can get into my philosophy around that. But yeah, that's that's basically what I do. I'm also co-owner of Driven Performance Labs, an up-and-coming supplement company in the CrossFit space. I would say all of our products are, are geared with CrossFitters in mind. There's some universal application to several other populations, but the other owners and myself are all CrossFitters. And and so that's kind of where we get our inspiration from. Other than that, man, I'm just a a regular dude that that spends several hours a day on the phone with my clients.
0: We were wrapping before the call here. How many clients are you talking to a day?
1: (laughs) 25 to 30 a day uh, (laughs) is the standard. And that's on the phone. We could be talking 50 plus for including text messages, but a lot.
0: One thing that shines through for me just in the few minutes we've been talking here, Jason, is just your passion for service and helping people. So where do you think that came from and and why in a world of automation and scaling, yada, 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 why do you focus so much on service?
1: Yeah. You know what, man? It's really funny. If anybody follows me on Facebook or is friends with me on Facebook, I made a post on this topic yesterday. And, you know, actually, I know that a lot of your followers are in the entrepreneur space as well as the fitness space. and I've kind of dabbled in both. And one of the statements I openly made is, dude, I've left a ton of money on the table in all of my business endeavors and you know i get i could have automated a lot of my business and i've had new york times book deals seven figures plus and i've always turned them down because they always want me to write something for the masses and my background for those that don't know anything about me is when i was 19 i had an eating disorder i was anorexic i was 118 pounds Five ten, one eighteen 118 is not a pretty sight dude i mean i don't i don't know chicks that are that light um yes. so let alone dudes it was not a, it was not a pretty sight but you know man like coming up in the industry you just i really have this massive appreciation for what health and fitness have done for me and i mean i'm on this grind and this mission to just pay it forward to as many people as possible and one of the things i openly said to you is i mean i'm neurotic as hell dude like i I can only wrap my head around prescribing something relative to an individual. I can't fathom creating a a diet template based on somebody's body weight and saying that's applicable universally. I mean, there's just, there's so many factors that go into building out a dietary prescription. You know, what if, you know, what if your prescription was 2000 calories based on your body weight and and you were only eating 800 calories? I mean, imagine what that's going to do from a metabolic perspective. Right. And that's just like one situation, but there's so many of those. And so I think that a lot of what shapes my vision is is I get a lot of people that have tried these templated approaches or or tried these uh, mass market approaches and they end up coming to me and they're like, all it did was mess me up and I get to fix the damage. And so some of it to me is the frustration of working with broken clients. But the other is, I mentioned to you, Gary Vaynerchuk's a good friend of mine. And one word, he always talks about his legacy. When I talk about my life 15, 20 years from now, man, I want people to be like, you know, I coached in the Jason Phillips model where it was a service-driven model where I gave a fuck about the individual. I work with a very high volume of clients. But if you ask any one of my clients, they'll tell you they feel like they're my only client. And that's something I pride myself on.
0: So I'm curious, when it comes to growing and scaling that, obviously, you only have so many hours in a day. Yeah. How do you replicate yourself and empower others to have that same passion and energy? What's, What's your approach there?
1: So it's funny when I, and I'm very transparent about this, when I look for people to work for me, I find people, I don't look for skill sets. And that's something that Gary definitely agrees with me on. And I think a lot of top entrepreneurs agree with me on, but you know, I can, I can teach you the skill set of nutrition. I can, I can walk you through the things I've seen before. And I have a very strict quality control process in my company, right? So I probably work with a third of the clients that are in my company, but I see every single prescription that goes out before it goes out because I'm that anal about quality control. So when we talk about scalability and we talk about replication, uh, one of the things I did this year is I did open up a mentorship. I think I get a lot of questions all the time. How do you do what you do? How did you get into it? I remember telling one of my clients, he said, yeah, my daughter's in college. She's majoring in nutrition. How does she get into doing what you do? And my advice at the time was don't like, it's such a saturated industry. Nobody's doing anything differently. And then it finally hit me. I said, there is a way in and it's delivering value. It's stop playing the game of post on Instagram. Hey, look, I have ripped abs and I'll sell (laughs) you a hundred dollar diet. That's complete bullshit. But if you starve yourself, you'll have abs too. And right. so I was like, I got to teach people how to really deliver service. So I opened up a mentorship this year. It's been massively successful. I was, if I'm being transparent, dude, I was hoping I'd get five or six people. I think I've got 14 mentor clients right now. That's not a cheap program up until you up front, It's a, it's a pretty expensive program, but all of my mentor clients are now profitable in their first 90 days. So that's pretty cool to see. I'm actually creating businesses for people. And then I have an internship that I offer if people are looking to work for me. So they actually come in, they they work for 90 to 180 days. And if it works, great, then they have a job. If not, then hey, at least they learned something and you know they can go apply it somewhere else. But I'm very cognizant of the need to scale. I'm going slower to scale than I probably could or should. But again, man, that's, that's just me really giving a shit about quality.
0: And so you mentioned people versus skill sets. Yes. What are some qualities of, and this will be good for coaches to hear, right? That are running sure. facilities and they kind of want to take a vacation every so often, right? Yeah. Scale themselves or duplicate themselves. What are some qualities of the ideal person you're looking for?
1: I think that sometimes it's just sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I'm pretty bad with articulation in terms of what the qualities are. But I think in short, just give a fuck about people. If you look at like what I did in the South Regional this weekend, like I said, 30 plus athletes there, dude, I was up at 5am cooking my athletes breakfast. I was going to Whole Foods while they were competing, getting them lunch. I was ordering room service, delivering it to their rooms at dinner. If they needed something, I was like, go lay down, I'll go get it. Take the shirt off your back, give it to your client, get on a fucking plane, go see your client, like whatever needs to be done. Like you just do that shit and you don't do it because of the money. You don't do it because of any amount of appreciation. Like you do it because your client deserves it. Either you have that attitude or you don't. And I think that anyone listening to this that just heard me say that can either identify with it or they can't. And if that's you, then hit me up. Maybe you're a good fit for my team if it's not, that's cool. Like we can still be friends. I don't think anything less of you for it. But I think some people inherently are givers. And I think that to be successful in a service driven model, you have to really want to give.
0: Right. That makes perfect sense. I think far too often, and I fell in this trap too, when I was running facility was thinking of people as leads yes. coming in to grow the business. And then, yeah. you, then all of a sudden you realize like, no, these are people with emotions and families and problems that they're trying to solve. And yeah. they're looking for you to be that solution, to help them guide them on that solution. So I think that's missed nowadays. I
1: think, you know, and, and maybe you agree, right? You've lived in the entrepreneurial world for a while. And I talk to a lot of, I, you know, I do small business coaching for some people now too. And it's like, when you look at really successful businesses, you look they were all started on a passion. Very few people look at something and they're like, man, I can make a lot of money. That's what I'm going to do. If it was all about the money from day one, they usually end up falling flat on their face. My business, openly and honestly, happened on accident. I thought it was really cool that I had this skill set that I could help a lot of athletes with. And before I knew it, I had so many athletes that I didn't know what to do with. And I had to scale and I had to hire people because I knew intrinsically there were more people that needed my help. And what I was forced to do to give them that value was to scale. I didn't scale because I wanted more money. Financially, I'm really happy. So I'm scaling because I know the world needs more help with the model that I know works. And I think that if, if more people just lived in what they truly believe in every day versus what some quote unquote like business thing out there may or may not tell you to do, I think we'd see a lot more success.
0: So I'm interested to talk a little bit about overcoming your eating disorder. Yeah talk me through how you got into that what happened and maybe how you were able to overcome that that challenge
1: <laughs> I don't think I've ever told the story publicly so your listeners are the first it's fucking embarrassing but I'm <laughs> I'm certainly uh, I'm okay with telling it now All right good So when I was 18 dude I was uh, I was really good at golf I was actually like top 50 in the world amateur then I got hurt tore my labrum and I was in like the rehab setting and my life kind of downward spiral man you know like I drank for the first time I smoked pot for the first time like I figured out what it was to be a high school kid. Like I, I didn't know, dude, like my senior year, I, I didn't go to school Monday or Friday cause I was really going to go. So while I was figuring out how to be a kid, like my life kind of took a shit, but I got approached by Abercrombie and Fitch to be a model. And what nineteen-year-old doesn't want to be a model for Abercrombie and Fitch? It's like a wet dream. Uh, yeah, and, right, right. right, I mean, like think about this. It's like, like every, talking, every uh, high school, girl's we're talking two thousand two, two thousand three, dude. Like yeah. that was like the Abercrombie days. Was... <laughs> yeah, that was like when Abercrombie was really famous. For too. sure. So the problem was I was skinny fat, and in my clothes you couldn't tell. Right, I was just a, I was a good-looking kid, but I definitely didn't have abs. And the modeling recruiter was like, Hey, like you got to send me some ab pictures. And I'm like, fuck dude.
0: Like what's that?
1: Apparently Taco Bell doesn't get you abs. <laughs> so I'm asking around, I'm like, how do I get abs? And someone's like, Hey, read the magazines. It got really good nutrition articles And before I knew it, dude. Like I was reading everything I get my hands on and all it said was don't eat this, don't eat that. And, and there was very few things I was eating. And, and I mean, I vividly remember dude, a meal for me would be like two rice cakes. Like that was a meal, wow. 60 calories. And I was doing like two hours of cardio a day, you know, typical bodybuilding bullshit back in the day. And you know, so I fell into this trap and it was vicious, dude. Like people look at anorexic and they think it's just like a mental thing, but it affects every part of your life. I couldn't hold a job because I didn't have energy past 1pm. So I had this job at Best Buy and I remember like I kept trying to get them to schedule like I would make excuses as to why they had to schedule me in like the morning shift And then I wanted to be a server and I could work like lunch, shift, but I couldn't work dinner. So I wasn't making any money. Literally, it was affecting me like crazy on every level. And I actually got a job opening up Bull's Gym, right? Because it was perfect. 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Boom. Had all my energy at that point. It was something I could do every day. And I got to be in the gym, the environment I wanted to be in all the time. And thankfully, when I was there, one of the trainers kind of saw what I was doing to myself. And I remember saying to her, I was like, hey, there's like this bodybuilder that would come in every day. And I was like, hey, I want to look like him. Like, you know, he was jacked, but he was also ripped. And she's like, oh, well, you know, I I do his nutrition and I train him. Of course, she was lying. (laughs) She bullshitted me and she told me and for whatever reason, I believed her. And I was like, okay, cool. What do I need to do? And I'll never forget. She's like, go home and I want you to start eating 4,000 calories tomorrow. And I was like, all right, whatever. I believe you. That guy looks really good. I'll do it. And for whatever reason, man, I put blind trust in this woman. And I went that night to Barnes and Noble. I bought a calorie counting book, right? This was probably before the days of my fitness pal and calorie king and all that shit. And I started writing 4,000 calorie meal plans for myself every single day. And three weeks later, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, well, I'm not fat from all this food I'm eating. I guess food doesn't really kill you. And that was like, that was like the first step out of my eating disorder. Obviously there were subsequent steps to recovery, but that was kind of how it went.
0: Interesting. And so would you say you're well past that? Yeah, I think anybody that's battled an eating disorder
1: will tell you that there's always something in the back of their mind, right? I mean, I think like I'm going to the Bahamas in four weeks, dude, I want to be ripped, right? I don't want to be the fat dude by the pool, especially <laughs> given what I do for a living is I help other people look good. I don't want to misrepresent my brand. And I don't want pictures showing up on the internet. And they're like, yo, that nutritionist is fat. That's not my jam. But I think I'm hyper aware of what I take in and I don't know if that's a result of the eating disorder or what I do for a living. I'm very aware of what I take in. I have no issues with food. I can throw down a large pizza with my bodies, I can drink with my bodies, I can eat desserts. You name it, it's all good. So. But I think on the mental aspect, food is always an awareness for me.
0: Right. And I think that's probably a good thing too, right? Especially in today's society, it's just anything and everything's accessible at any time. And so if you don't have that awareness, especially as like an athlete, in your case, a coach, you are your brand. You are the product essentially. And so Well,
1: um, and I also think it's I think it's massively important for what I do as a coach because a lot of the issues with food in our culture of sport right now revolves around aesthetics. And we're hitting a point in CrossFit where aesthetics and performance are no longer matching up. I say this a lot in my seminars. I say in 2007, Fran was like the benchmark of CrossFit. And today it's a warm up. The demands of our sport are so much higher. And the demands of any sport, right? People are just bigger, stronger, and faster. You have to be able to perform at a higher level and recover on a higher level. And in CrossFit, that means multiple events and multiple days and a very highly central nervous system and physically demanding taxation on your body. And for females, I'm sorry, that doesn't mean 12% body fat anymore. Mm -hmm. It's almost becoming not sustainable. So I actually think the fact that I once had a poor relationship with food and body image allows me to connect with my clients a little bit better. I have that understanding because, yeah, I've been there, dude. I get it. I get what you see in the mirror. I know firsthand what you're feeling. And yeah, I empathize with you, but I also have the skill set to get you through it. And I think that's part of why I'm successful.
0: Just purely curious here, shifting gears a little bit. What would a nutrition prescription look like for a games level athlete during the games?
1: (laughs) It's really interesting that you say that. During the games is completely different than leading up to the games. Maybe give us, if you're
0: doing it right. Talk us through leading up and then at the event.
1: I'll tell you this. So box pro magazine reached out to me and they said, Hey, will you write us an article on a 12 week, like diet prep for the games? And I said, no. And they were like, okay, why not? And I said, because it's not 12 weeks, it's 12 months. <laughs> and their editor was like, the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, dude, games prep starts like the day the games ends. Mm-hmm. Because if you're doing nutrition, right, you're preserving hormone at certain times. Your nutrition matches up with the periodization of your training, and you're going into your competition environment with your hormone levels intact so that you can leverage your hormones during the competition scenario, right? And so, a lot of people make this mistake of under-fueling away from competition, and they train just fine because what they're doing at that point is they're leveraging their hormone. Then they get into a competition scenario when they need to leverage hormone, but because they've been leveraging it in training, it's gone. And hormones, specifically cortisol, you don't just replenish that shit like glucose with a shake. You don't just get to be like, oh, here's cortisol. I'm going to inject it. Like it just doesn't work like that. If your cortisol is gone, like just kiss your performance goodbye. So the brief 12 week kind of lead in would assume that what you did the rest of the year was correct. Um, But we'll use like Travis Mayer as an example. I think he'll go back to Carson this year and he and I have been working together. You know, Travis eats about 800 grams of carbs a day. That's 3,200 calories from carbohydrate alone. Mm-hmm. When he came to me, he thought he ate a lot. and I think he was eating like high fives. So we've almost doubled his carbohydrate intake. We just started working together four or five weeks before the Open. But for us, like we didn't take into account any fueling for the Open. We treated it just like training because we kind of knew he would get through the Open. We're mildly peaking for regionals. And so what happens is as we have moved towards regionals, we put him on a leaner diet. Basically, everything he'll do is glycolytic in nature at regionals. So we're pulling out the fats. We're leveraging strictly carbohydrates. It'll put him closer to a fasted state more frequently because less fat, means faster turnover in your body. When you're in a fasted state, your cortisol starts to rise. Cortisol is your fight-or-flight hormone, so that's when you actually start that process of leveraging your hormone. Gotcha. So we're constantly putting him in that state during the regional setting, but immediately coming out of regionals, we'll do a very brief hormone restoration preservation phase, could be three to four weeks, where we'll get the fats back, back into his diet, we'll keep calories super elevated, and then we'll begin the peaking process again of bringing his fats down towards the uh, competition. And then obviously, his pre- and post-workout fuel will be dictated by like what the event is. We're using this this year's regionals as an example. Um, like I worked with Nick Hecht in the South this week. And what's the first event? It's the snatch ladder, right? And so we knew that we could load him up on Thursday pretty heavily to be ready for Friday morning. We did a normal breakfast. We actually ate a pretty light lunch relative to the snatch ladder because at that point, he's very glycogen sufficient right he didn't do any heavy training thursday he didn't do any tra- heavy training wednesday so two days of glycogen stores being full he was ready to roll he crushed the snatch ladder and then honestly dude we did a recovery shake and we did like some uh some squeeze packs like two fit aid squeeze packs before the second event mm-hmm. and we wanted him to be as light as possible and as close to fast as possible so we get that cortisol elevation and obviously the biggest mitigating factor was he's a heavy dude he's like too late, a fucking just shredded beast and we just wanted to keep him as light as possible so you're always looking 12 to 24 hours ahead in the setting as well i think that's where a lot of people miss the mark your dinner friday is in your afternoon meals friday are essentially what's dictating how you're going to perform saturday and then saturday night you got to remember you're two days deep not only physically are you a little depleted, but your central nervous system has taken double the hit that it's used to taking. So your replenishing has to happen at a higher level to be prepared for Sunday.
0: That's crazy. I've never even considered these things. It's awesome. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I probably just went a lot deeper. No, that's than most great. people expected me to go, but that's the shit that goes through my head when I'm working with athletes. So you know, I posted something today on one of my backcountry competitors, and the process with her, dude. I mean, we started six, six, seven months ago, and. You know, she was just coming out of adrenal fatigue, and man, that's like six months is a tight timeline to come out of adrenal fatigue and perform at your highest level at regionals. But out of everybody I worked with, dude, I was single-handedly probably most proud of her because I know what it took to get her there, and it was pretty awesome.
0: Hey, guys. Colby here. Sorry to interrupt the action here, but uh, I've got a pretty important message for you. If you've been coaching for any amount of time, you know that helping your athletes become the best version of themselves can be a pretty slow process, but it doesn't have to be that way. What if there was a framework of coaching, a goal achievement operating system, if you will, that improved the speed, consistency, and effort at which your athletes achieved their goals? Well, as it turns out, there is. It's called Deliberate Practice, and the research and the record books suggest it's the secret sauce behind the world's top coaches and performers. Here at Train Heroic, we believe in the principles of deliberate practice so much, we wrote a book about it, and now we're giving it to you for free. Head over to trainheroic.com practice to download your free copy. Just imagine what your gym team, or business would look like if all those involved became the best version of themselves. Pretty insane, right? Download your free copy today. Head over to trainheroic.com practice to claim your copy of Lift. Correct your coaching and reach past possible with deliberate practice. Back to the action. So let's shift gears a little bit. We're talking about high performers, games level, regionals level let's talk maybe just your recreational CrossFit or weekend warrior type dude who just wants to improve their body composition talk us through there obviously doing the general CrossFit programming some strengths some Metcons yada 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 what does that approach look like and I know it's probably hard to say seeing as you're so individualized right yeah (laughs) so it's funny uh, if you could generalize I would yeah yeah, we would appreciate it
1: yeah it's funny so we talked off the air before we did this and I was like if somebody ever asked me that question the first thing I want to do inherently is ask 20 questions so I'll do my best to (laughs) to dumb it down and generalize for you. You know, I open up every seminar that I do and I I talk instantly about Paleo and Zone because that's usually where everybody goes. And I think that the biggest distinguishment that needs to be made is where are you as in your training age or training career. And so let's classify people as being new to CrossFit or having been done CrossFit first. If you're new to CrossFit and in your first like eight to ten months, you're in what's called a neurological adaptation phase. And you're going in, you're learning to snatch for the first time. You're learning to clean and jerk for the first time. You're learning to go inverted. You're learning kipping, right? You're you're learning, dude. You're not you're not necessitating performance or recovery because you're just not going that deep in your system. This is all new to you. Like, you know, you learn pretty quickly in a 30 minute AMRAP that if you go balls out for two minutes, that you're going to eat shit for 28 minutes, (laughs) right? Like that's a learned response. like Neurologically, you're wiring your brain for this shit. So, The fact of the matter is, and this is mind blowing to a lot of people, you would literally probably get the same results on 500 calories than you would on 1500 calories right so that's why paleo is so successful early in your training career you don't necessitate fuel or recovery so you don't need glucose and that's where paleo actually wins in a lot of settings now the biggest problem with paleo i say so there's two kinds of paleo dieters so there's the ones that they eat like meat and vegetables and they end up in that 500 calorie state which we know long term will cause metabolic damage a host of other issues or the kind that's like well i eat almond butter Almond butters paleo, and but I eat the whole fucking jar. <laughs> Clearly, that ain't going to work either. Yeah. So yeah. that's like the first scenario. The other is like your recreational CrossFitter that's been at it. You You're a weekend warrior. You've been doing it for a couple of years. At that point, man, it's it's really about understanding like what are your goals? Are you cosmetically oriented or are you performance oriented? Because I'll openly say this, and I'll fight head to toe anyone that wants to to battle me with it. You cannot have extreme performance and extreme cosmetics. They're two completely ends of the spectrum, and on that matter, you can't have optimal health on either one of those either, right? Right. So so I have this diagram and, and I, should, I should send it to you. Maybe you can post it. Sure. It's like, it's two circles, right? You have performance and you have cosmetics and then where they intersect in the middle is health. And so there's like, there's a very small piece dietary wise that actually allows you to have all three. But what you understand is you got a little bit of health, a little bit of performance and a little bit of cosmetics when you prioritize all three.
0: But go but if too you want, far if, one way right if you go too far in that performance
1: yeah. realm yeah you're sacrificing health and you're potentially sacrificing cosmetics i mean not to not to be non-pc but i think that this is pretty well understood at this moment look at the top females in the crossfit game today the body type is far different than it was a couple years ago mm-hmm. right annie and sam do not look like camille and Cara Webb, right just factually speaking I don't prefer, as a male, one body type or another. I'm just simply doing my job to point out the fact. Yeah, female, right? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Like, like, yeah, no, dude, 100%. But that's just factual, right? And I think that it requires that level of understanding. But females can't expect to to have a proper hormone profile running sub-12% body fat and then fucking doing, you know, Murph into speed snatch ladder into heavy
0: DT. Right. You just can't do you, dude Like do you, you, you uh, can't this, recover. This might be totally off topic, but you see some of these females and guys who are just shredded, right? Like yep. absolutely shredded, competing at sure. a high level. In your experience, is there more at play than just diet and genetics? Wink, wink.
1: Oh, for sure. Okay. 100%. I think that, I mean, I'm never shy to go that route. I don't want to blame CrossFit at all. Because I actually, and a lot of people sometimes are disappointed to hear me say it, I fucking love Dave Castro. I love CrossFit HQ. I think what they continue to do is awesome. And I think that they're doing what they have to do to have a successful brand. The demands of the sport, there's very few people that can really keep up with them. And it's very fun to watch. Say what you will, dude. Like, Murph was a very dangerous event, in my opinion, last year. Like, I was outside. I know what the heat was just standing there. I can't imagine doing that event in that heat. But it was cool to see. It's top the games, the right? And, yeah. and it's a showcase, yeah. right? Like we got to remember, this is entertainment, right? Right? There's a reason that CrossFit makes the money they make because this is a, it's like WWE. It's sports entertainment, right? Right? And to have those demands, I think athletes are slowly starting to get smarter. But I think that to expect athletes to continue performing at that high level, yeah, there's you see people getting popped, right? So mm-hmm. I think that we could factually say yes, there's drug use involved. I don't think that it will ever. Do we think there's drug use in the NFL? Yep. For sure. 100%. Yep. Do we think there's drug use in MLB still? Yep. So yeah, I'm sure it's in our sport. You're rolling the dice.
0: You know? Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, that's, that's about as far as I'll go with that. But so, yeah, no, I, I, do, I do think it's happening.
0: Let's bring it back to, we're talking about yeah, so general the weekend nutrition. Warrior, yeah, yeah.
1: For sure, for so, sure. so, so number one though, it's, it's understanding what are your goals? Are you cosmetic guy or are you a performance guy? Or do you want both? Do you want to look good, feel good, move well? So first and foremost is that second is if you're cosmetics, yeah, you're going to live in a little bit of a calorie deficit. You're probably going to be slightly lower on the carbs. Now, remember, you're doing glycolytic exercise, so you're not going to a ketogenic diet, but you're lower on the carbs and and you're just controlling that really well. You know, if you're on the performance side, you're eating a little more carbs, a little bit less fats. I would say this as the first thing for every single person, and I tell this to people at my seminars as well. If you get nothing out of anything I've ever told you, leave this and track your food for three days and find out where you're at because it's very eye-opening to people. I had a consult with a girl yesterday and it was our first call and I was giving her implementation. And when I read her intake form, she literally wrote like, holy shit, I didn't realize how low my calories were. She was doing like 11 block zone. And I'm like, you know, and she was eating like 1200 and something calories. It was fucking terrible. And I'm like, well, no wonder you're not losing fat. Like you're starving yourself. So, you know, I think that most recreational CrossFitters where they miss the mark is one, they avoid carbohydrates too much. And the demands of the activity is actually signaling their body. Hey, listen, I'm beating you in the ground. You don't have enough fuel to recover. So my defense mechanism is to hold on to body fat for survival. So one, they're usually not eating enough, but two, they just simply don't know what they're intaking. And so to tell you what is adequate would be very irresponsible of me without knowing where you're currently at. Right. So the advice I'll give to everybody listening is if you think you're inadequate and you track and you prove that you're inadequate, take your current intake, add 20% and start there as your new baseline. And make it slightly carbohydrate-dominant, meaning keep your fat percentage around 30% of total calories, keep your protein around a gram per pound of body weight, and fill in the rest of the calories with carbohydrates. And I think that you'll be really happy with where your cosmetics go.
0: Awesome. And so we've been talking paleo and zone a little bit too. Do you see some common downfalls with that approach when it comes to just body composition?
1: For sure. And and it's because it's not quantity controlled. So one of the biggest things I see when people come to me is they have a very hard time staying within the fat goal that I give them. And I'm not like one of these super like low fat zealots. Like I think the physique industry right now is going towards a very low fat prescription, I'm seeing lots of like 15 and 20% prescriptions thrown out there. But even if I give you 80 to hundred grams of fat per day and you're even doing paleo, that's hard. Cause you're probably used to eating 150, 160 grams of fat. Well, Fats, 225% more calorically dense than proteins or carbohydrates. So, yeah, no wonder. Like, olive oil is healthy. Almond butter is healthy. Eggs are healthy. Bacon's healthy. But the shit's got calories, man. Just because it's quote-unquote healthy doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it doesn't have calories. And a caloric surplus physiology states will make you fatter. Right. So I think that, again, understanding the energy systems in play when we're performing the activities that we're performing – you're just simply not deriving energy from proteins and fats. You have to have glucose to fuel glycolytic activity. It's just factual.
0: In your experience, is that prescription of 30% fats, one gram per pound of body weight protein, fill the rest with carbohydrates, is that typically the kind of ballpark amount appropriate for CrossFit?
1: If I really had to generalize, and I mean, then that's asking sure me to do something <laughs> massively uncomfortable, right? Like I'm like, fuck it.
0: Yeah, that's a really good place
1: for a lot of people to start. I would say I would maybe say 30 to 35 percent fat. Now, if I took it a step further, I would say once you get into that and you start experiencing some some success with it, I would transition the fats a little bit lower, the carbohydrates a little bit higher. Or if you're on the body comp perspective, I would transition the carbs down slightly and the protein up slightly. Because again, remember, there's an inverse relationship between proteins and protein sparing nutrients. So as carbs and fats come down, or carbs and fats are what we refer to as protein sparing nutrients, you actually require more dietary protein to help support that lean tissue and and the regeneration of lean tissue breakdown that you're doing in your exercise.
0: So let's talk supplementation. And you can go ahead and give a little plug here to Driven Performance Labs, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, drivenperformancelabs.com. It's really funny, dude, because I've done tons of seminars this year, and everyone at the end is like, dude, I didn't even know you own a company. So I don't slam my brand or other brands down anyone's throat. So I think this will be a fun conversation.
0: So let's just dive into it. Let's talk high-performance, games-slash-regionals-level athletes. What kind of supplements are we looking at in order to just get that extra 5 or 10% out of your body?
1: So I've got a few staples that I recommend to anybody, games-level, non-games-level, health, whatever. I think what we've seen in in blood work, and and there's a really good blood test that I would encourage a lot of people to get. It's called a 25-OHD. It'll measure your vitamin D levels. You'll find that almost everyone is slightly deficient. So I do recommend supplementing with extra vitamin D. That's one that I'm big on. Magnesium is a trace mineral that almost everyone's deficient in. Obviously, it's linked to high-quality sleep as well as other neurotransmitter production. So I'm a big fan of magnesium at night. There's magnesium and ZMA products. Obviously, we do own a ZMA product. Ours is pretty aggressive, and and I'll touch on that later. But vitamin D and magnesium are pretty much staples. I also recommend branched-chain amino acids to almost everybody. There's some literature that suggests it reduces RPE, rate of perceived exertion. I like it for what's called a hyperemia effect, so I recommend it as a pre-workout supplement. I know most BCA brands will list on their label to take it post-workout. I recommend it pre-workout. I like nutrient-rich blood floating through or flowing to your working muscles during training. Obviously, it's just going to begin that recovery process exponentially faster. And anytime we can do that, it's a good thing. So big fan of BCAAs pre-workout. It's also um, not a bad thing if you're in a dieting phase or, or in a phase that requires extreme recovery to take BCAAs away from training. So again, using like regionals levels competitors. I had a lot of my regionals people this year doing two and three servings of BCAAs throughout the day. It keeps what's called muscle protein synthesis elevated and also reduces what's called muscle breakdown synthesis. We're creating an environment where MBS can definitely elevate. So by offsetting that with leucine ingestion multiple times daily, we're just doing our due diligence to foster a recovery environment, but you know, also keep soreness down as well. So huge fan of BCAAs. You know, when we start digging into other supplements, obviously creatine monohydrate, one of the most studied supplements out there, completely safe, big fan there. And then I really don't get into the exotic ones really well, man. Like I'm very knowledgeable on this. I think for a long time I was really into like the supplement game. And obviously being a supplement company owner, I have to know like what's out there. But a lot of it out there, man, like just keeping it real, it's bullshit. It's really good marketing hype. And I can tell you as an owner, man, the margins are fucking great. Like <laughs> <laughs> I remembered when we first got our quote on our very first product, I was like, holy fuck, that's it. And I'm like, and this is what we're gonna sell it for? I'm like, that's crazy like fat burners, right. In the bodybuilding industry, I can tell you most of those are being made like cost of goods, $2 and 50 cents out the door. They sell for and 60, labeled.
0: 70 bucks. They sell for 50 to 60 yeah. bucks.
1: Wow! And you know, the biggest thing in the supplement game, and this is what I hate. And this is where I will plug my company is if you go to our labels, everything that is in our product is listed. There's no proprietary blend, And that's where the people, they hide it, right? They're like, oh, proprietary blend. We'll throw all these ingredients in there. You don't know how much is in there. The exact number, exact milligram of everything that's in our product is listed. I mean, if somebody wanted to steal the formula and go make their own product, we couldn't prevent them. You can't trademark formulas. I'm just being super transparent Mm -hmm. because it's not an FDA-regulated industry. So I have been in a major supplement company office where the owners have said, hey, let's just throw... A ton of 1,3-dimethyl. And if anyone knows that ingredient, it was banned two years ago. It's now illegal. But this is a conversation five years ago. Let's just throw a ton of 1,3-dimethyl in there and people will think it's working. Wow. That's the thought process going through supplement company owners' heads. Like They don't know if their shit works sometimes.
0: So with some of these bigger brands, and I'm not going to name any names, but yeah. what percentage of the budget, and this might be hard to say, goes yeah. to marketing versus Customer support versus research. So there's a big...
1: Um, so R&D is typically looked at as 5 to 10%. What? That's scary, right? That's insane. Marketing scary. is like, what, 50? Marketing is 45 to 50.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's the marketing companies, so, essentially.
1: Supplement companies are a marketing game, dude. Yeah. Look at Shreds,
0: right? Oh, Look at
1: Shreds. Man. They're getting so much hate right now, which I find hilarious.
0: Amusing. Who's the male model who's just getting shit on right now? Do you well, know? Well,
1: Devin Physique, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he got dropped because they found out that like, their little monthly scams were, you know, he's the one that got exposed. Um, crazy. And listen, man, props to Arvin for understanding that it was a marketing game and say what you will, like their products are shit. I'm sure. Like, I don't know. I won't say that factually I haven't used them, but I'm sure that they're lower quality ingredients the dude got it and from what i've been told and i had some insider information at one point like he knew for every penny he spent on digital marketing what his return on investment was right from a marketing game man like if you know that you're successful i can't hate on that i can hate on the fact that he's not delivering quality man like i mean anybody out there that's tried our products they usually have good things to say and and i can tell you my cost of goods are nowhere near as cheap as his mm-hmm. i mean I have a carbohydrate product coming out in six weeks and I got the quote on it last night and it's fucking expensive. Like no company in their right mind would actually pay to have it produced. And our manufacturer told us not to do it, but we're going to do it anyway. Well, because it's quality, right? Like if I wanted my athlete to have something, this is what I would give them. So that's how I'm going to go to the market. I didn't get in the supplement game to make a lot of money. That wasn't why I wanted to do it. I wanted to produce really cool products and innovative products. So it's a scary game.
0: How about fish oil?
1: Yeah, fish oil is huge on obviously fish oil is one that I think is it's funny, man, I almost consider it like a staple. And I often forget to talk about it. because I just feel like almost everybody's using it. I think that a lot of people misunderstand it. I think it's it's about maintaining a really good ratio of omega three to omega six. I think in like the Western diet, we eat a lot of high omega six foods. And the reason you're taking in so much omega three is to create that balance, right? You want a positive ratio of omega three to omega six. And so as long as you're taking a high quality fish oil and you're getting that, you know, the one thing you got to be careful of is some fish oils out there are marketing like, oh, we have 1.5 grams of fish oil per cap. But then you look at the EPA, DHA, and it's like nothing. And it's EPA, DHA that matters in terms of ingestion. So that's the one thing a lot of people have to be careful about. And the other one is the other good one is probiotics as well. Big fan of probiotic. Remember that we live in a lactate based sport. And lactate has to flow through the gut before it exits the body. It's constantly wreaking havoc on our GI and crossfitters in general tend to have more GI problems than most. And so obviously having a probiotic there to help with that will help on every level. Is there Um, there
0: target range dosing? I always
1: recommend get the highest strain you can, but make sure that it's multiple strain, right? So you don't want to go and get a probiotic where it's like, just like acidophilus. You want a multi strain, high strain, like was it like $50 think is okay. one that I've seen recently? That's what you want to look for when you go get your
0: probiotics. So let's wrap this podcast up here. Let's just talk some business stuff. So if you were to offer some advice to the entrepreneurs out there listening, maybe want to start their own online brand or they're running the gym, what is just some general business advice that you could offer?
1: <laughs> so I'll do it and like I'll tell a funny story. Someone asked me when I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, they said, well, what do you do for a living? And my response was whatever the fuck I want. (laughs) And you know, like I say that tongue in cheek and people are probably like, wow, that's a cocky answer, but I mean that shit. And I do it because I have literally done everything that flies in the face of the corporate model and the corporate success model. And I've always done it the way that I know how, and that I believe to be right. And I think a lot of people leave their intuition based on what the world says is correct. And fuck the world. Fuck corporate. Fuck all these entities out there that are telling you you're doing it wrong. Because like I said, man, I've had some of the top quote-unquote gurus in the world tell me my model wasn't work. And trust me, man, I'm winning. Like, we talked revenue off there. Like, I'm doing just fine. And I can tell you when I scale in the next five years, I'm going to do something that no one's ever done. And I've done it based on a premise of how I want to do it. So, I think a lot of people have to get back to like the root of their passion. They have to do things the way that they want to do and the way that they can consistently wake up doing it every day, man. I mean, like I'm talking to you right now, sitting on the couch in my living room, I've got like golf sitting on TV because my boys are playing on the PGA tour and it's pretty good life. I don't have to do anything. I don't ever want to do. I continuously do what I want to do, but I found a way to make that profitable and I think that's where people have to go Listen, there's always going to be some things that you don't want to do, right? Sometimes you just got to suck that up and deal with it. Gary Vaynerchuk's a huge influence in my life. I'm massively fortunate to have that connection now, but I followed that motherfucker religiously for days and weeks and months and years before we finally connected. Find somebody out there that you resonate with their stuff and if you're down, go to them for inspiration. Shit, dude, reach out to me. Let's have a conversation. I'll help you if I can. Just surround yourself with really good people that are supporting what you're doing too. And this all sounds like really simple advice and not high level shit, but I think you would agree, man. Like the success is never really the hard part. It's just fucking doing it.
0: Totally. It is, man. It is, and what I'm learning too, is that overnight successes, quote unquote, really yeah. aren't. They aren't. No, they, they, no. They're, they're like a 1% improvement <laughs> every day, forever. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just like this slow grind that eventually things start to pay off. You meet somebody who introduces you to somebody who has a business opportunity for you. And you know, the current role I am in now with Train Heroic, this awesome tech company, came through because I got this job at a CrossFit gym the CEO of Train Heroic happened to move to Denver and join our gym. And sure as shit, here we are.
1: You nailed it, right? Be everywhere too. I mean, I got like when I was in the fitness modeling days, I got my first cover from literally being at every show and everybody knew who I was. Walk
0: and, around with your shirt off like, hey. <laughs> I, I imagine that, that's I how those that things, things douche, are. I've never, I wasn't
1: that douchebag, but I was probably close. Like, I've, I was never, probably uh, I've never
0: been to like, you know, the Arnold Classic or fit exposed but i imagine
1: it's a giant cloud of protein Uh. (laughs) farts no like in all seriousness man it's like uh especially the arnold because it's in columbus no offense to anyone that lives in columbus but downtown columbus there's not a lot to do so the meatheads they come take over and uh, if you just want comedy weekend bro like it's literally the funniest shit like you'll ever see
0: uh, it's good i love it we can get serious again after that conversation <laughs> but,
1: no but i mean like seriously like you be present man help people you know what i mean like i just did like a global summit interview with my boy gavin and he you know, at the end it's like man and, and i'll do the same for you but you know i will give out like my personal email not my assistant's email or not my team like Dude, hit me up. Like, whatever I can do for you, I mean that shit, bro. I want to add so much value to this world. And I believe that your net worth and and your bank account and your success is a direct reflection of the amount of value you add to this world. 100% believe it.
0: You know, we're just talking about those supplement companies who are marketing companies. Yeah. I believe that there's really, when it comes down to it, two types of people in this world. There's people who just exist to extract as much value as they can. And then there's the exact opposite, people who want to add as much value to the world as they can. And I truly mean this, Jason, you are definitely one of those people I can just tell from the conversations and from the people I've talked to prior to this interview, you've certainly are doing your part.
1: I genuinely appreciate that, dude. I mean, sometimes I can't even articulate it just the amount that I like want to give. And anyone that's come in contact with me, I think, would reciprocate that. And I think that's probably the coolest thing that you can have, right? Like when there's when there's an army of people out there talking about your willingness to help them, you've made it.
0: So we're up against our time here. Why don't you tell my audience the best way yeah. to get in touch with you, Jason?
1: Yeah, so I'll do two things, man. I'll give everybody my personal email. The first one is jasonphillipsfitness at gmail.com. Phillips with two L's. The other is I have a website launching in two weeks that will be jasonphillipsnutrition.com. Either one of those will get directly to me. And then of course, check out the supplement company, drivenperformancelabs.com.
0: And that's pretty much it. Right on. All right. That's all I had for you, Jason, man. Appreciate the time. Awesome, brother. Look forward to it. All right, guys, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, be sure to head over to trainheroic.com. Sign up for our free weekly newsletter to get all the latest strength and conditioning content on demand in the palm of your hand every single Monday morning. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.